There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Bigger Picture, brought to you by the British Film Institute. I'm Henry. I'm Anna. Anna, have you ever... Redacted. Or is all that kind of thing a bit too... Redacted. I, well, I just make hay. <laughs> just go with it. Take it somewhere. I'm not going to disclose if I have. It's a known unknown. Mm-hmm. I ask because this episode we're going to talk about The Report, a docudrama about former United States Senate investigator Daniel Jones's investigation into the CIA's use of torture post 9-11. But before that, Anna, what have you been watching? I've been watching. I was very privileged to be able to get an early screening of The Nightingale, the new Jennifer Kent film, which premiered at Sundance earlier this year. We don't want no trouble. That's just the way, isn't it? You don't want trouble, but sometimes trouble wants you. And she's known for her first feature, The Babadook, which Mm -hmm. is one of my favourite horror films ever. And The Nightingale is definitely not a horror film in the traditional sense, but it is horrific. Get me to the soldiers that came by this morning. It's too dangerous. Up north, they kill us. Sure you want to follow him? And it's very much a film that you can watch pretty much only once in your lifetime. It's an extraordinary kind of portrayal of a woman, an Irish convict woman in 18th century Australia who is subjected to horrific acts by British officers. They're close. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) I don't want no trouble. I don't want to reveal too much, but something happens to her family and it sends her off on a mission of recovery and revenge to a degree. You know what it's like to have a white fella take everything you have, don't you? (sighs) To buy... My love, a sword of steel. I wish I. It's anchored by an incredible I performance by newcomer actress Ashling Franciosi, who is just stunning. And kind of the whole film rests on her face, and there's so much trauma and grief and rage going on. I could hardly sit through it, but I say that in the best possible sense. Sounds grim. It kind of is. Oh. Yeah, but highly recommend. It comes out in the UK on the 27th of November. And it's definitely one to watch on the big screen. It's it's pretty stunning. But yeah, definitely not a film to watch and then go off a pints. Speaking of which, 
my recommendation this time around. It's going to be such a cheery episode. <laughs> my recommendation this week is a film that's on 4OD currently, and I recommend everybody go and see it. It's For Summer, which is a documentary by a director called Wad Al Katieb. She uh, lived in Aleppo during the siege. She was a student there and she was one of the protesters fighting against the Assad regime. And she had a baby in Aleppo and decided to stay in the city to continue protesting the regime while the city was being torn apart by bombs from Syria and from Russia. It is one of the most moving films that I've seen ever, I think, and certainly the most essential and necessary film of this year. Um, it has so many scenes that are absolutely devastating and just a kind of warning for anybody, there are lots of scenes of kids being killed in this film. And I was in tears for almost all of the film. But aside from that, what the film does so brilliantly is what most news reports don't. In the, the news reports we were seeing from Syria at the time, and even now, can only show you 30 seconds to kind of 90 seconds of the horror of what you're seeing. And then you're so used to having that kind of shoved in the middle of adverts or then glancing onto another story about a catapult tree or whatever. What this does is fully immerses you in those scenes. So a kid's brought into hospital, you see that they've died. And you see that long enough that you go through the horror of it and the kind of dismay of that and the upset. And then you start thinking about rationally what that means and so you process it, but then you go back into the horror again because you're with that image for so long. Yeah, I find it hard to talk about actually. It's a really, really moving film and one that we really need to see in 2019. Okay, let's crack open the report, written and directed by frequent Steven Soderbergh collaborator Scott Z. Burns. The film stars Adam Driver as Daniel Jones, who in the decade following 9-11 investigated the CIA's huge air quotes, enhanced interrogation techniques. These techniques used on 119 detainees included stress positions, mock burials, confinement, use of insects and waterboarding. They resulted in little to no useful intel. We know all of this because of the report. Morning, Dan. Morning, Senator. Have you seen the story today in the New York Times? Evidently, the CIA destroyed tapes of interrogations of Al-Qaeda detainees. I want to find out what was on the tapes and why they were destroyed. No paper. Paper is a way of getting people in trouble at our place. At our place, paper is how we keep track of laws. The report is a really strange film to watch. Can I ask you first off, did you actually enjoy watching it? I don't think I enjoyed watching it, but again, it's another necessary film. And I think you can find enjoyment through what the film makes you think about afterwards, right? We were talking with Pete before the show about how this film doesn't feel like a film. It feels like, as Pete says, it feels like a podcast, quite frankly, like a long podcast series that you're listening to or watching all the way through because it's such a procedural that you are essentially watching people in rooms having conversations about ethics and about politics over and over again, albeit with some big starry names in, but Mm. for a long time. It also feels like you're watching 
an article, a newspaper article, which Absolutely. is quite interesting because if you look at the trio of articles that came out just after this story broke, which are about、uh, by Spencer Ackerman at the Guardian, the way that he writes those are very much in the kind of style of a film script. In that there's a lot of color. There's in the opening paragraphs. There's a delayed drop. There's that kind of action scene where the guy's smuggling a document out of a building that he's not supposed to. That led me to think about. Are these films informed by the way that someone like Scott C. Burns makes this film? Is it informed by journalism? Is it informed by the events that happened, or a mix of both? And is it a kind of weird positive feedback loop in that people watch these films and then write news journalism that sounds like these films, but then these films take their ideas from news reports that are written like that? So you kind of get into this kind of snowballing effect of how politics and the real world are. Fictionalized and presented as narrative, but also given a docudrama sheen when you get into the film as well. So I didn't enjoy watching it to come to a very convoluted end to my to the question, but I did find it fascinating, and、you、that's a just, different thing. You just described politics, and that's how this film seemed to me. Last night I found this. He's detaining number twenty-four. Have you guys used this thing before? No, we watched the video. They waterboarded him 183 times. Everything they got from him was either a lie or something they already had. If it works, why do you need to do it 183 times? Maybe when the report comes out, people will finally see that. I've seen it twice now, and the first time my reaction was very much the same. I didn't really enjoy watching it, but I was in it,、yeah. and I wanted to learn more about the story. So it did feel a lot more informative than it was entertaining, and it's not terribly. Visual, you know, there's tinges and hints of the sort of dramatic political thrillers or, you know, journalism films like All the President's Men or kind of investigations of the ethics of torture like Zero Dark Thirty. But it doesn't really feel visually cinematically led. It feels ethics led and dialogue led, and that makes sense because Scott Z. Burns is primarily a screenwriter. This is his first film as a director. Every part of the story that seemed to gear towards drama, particularly the scenes where Adam Driver's character Daniel Jones is sort of teetering on the edge of, you know, releasing the report or leaking the report to the New York Times journalist that remains unnamed and played by Matthew Rhys in the film. If the Times had your report, we would print it tomorrow. No, if it's going to come out, it's going to come out the right way. He doesn't do it. Yeah, and it's always oh the drama is just about to happen, but it never quite gets to the dramatic moment. So it just reverts back into high level political discussions in closed off offices and interrogation rooms and small windowless offices. It is very oppressive, but so many. Big, huge, dramatic, life-affecting things are happening in these teeny, tiny, blocked-off rooms with quite faceless people. Which is why it's more docu than drama, really.、Mm. Right? It, that is real life. That actually, the horrific things that happen in the name of any government happen behind closed doors in tiny cubicles. That, and we hear very little about them, and they happen gradually. Right? It's not like somebody just. Clicks their fingers, and we decide to strip away human rights from a whole group of prisoners. It's something that is、um, well, actually, in this case, there was an element of that too. <laughs>、yeah. But for the most part, the things that affect our daily lives happen slowly and are incrementally、yeah. kind of built upon. And I also like the fact that it completely centered on the people who are actually making decisions and wielding that power that are not kind of the ultimate visible layers of、yeah. power, like say the presidents or you know the public facing. Figures of power; those are not the people who are having all the conversations, who are trying to move the pieces. And in fact, Daniel Jones's character, who's the central character in the report, isn't really 
the hero of the story, he doesn't really have the power to move anything or to make anything happen. He's kind of doing the work himself, but then it's out of his hands to make the decisions. He just has the data to to try to influence the senator who he's working with, who's Senator Dan Feinstein, to actually put it into action and have real life effects come out of that report and that piece of work. I think his heroism is in his persistence, though, right? Yes. So like the fact that he's been working on this for five years and, and the real life guy did too. Mm-hmm. The one thing that we do get in terms of a dynamic change throughout the film is Adam Driver's performance, which changes from one of kind of just stoic, I'm just going to get on with this and do the job I've been paid to do, to outrage that mm-hmm. people aren't talking about this, that the Senate aren't being braver to take this to the government and talk about it and get someone to admit that this stuff has actually gone on. But I think actually having said that, we're you know, risking calling it boring. But if, if it is slightly boring at times, I prefer that in this case, because if you look at a lot of the War on Terror films that mm. came out after 9-11... We've located an individual we believe, based on detainee reporting, is bin Laden's courier. He's living in a house in Abbottabad, Pakistan, and we assess that one of the other occupants of the house is UBL. Things like Zero Dark Thirty, which this film takes a tiny jibe at, which is quite interesting, mm. like, so it takes a little jab yeah. at it. Things like Eye in the Sky or Camp X-Ray with the Christian Stewart as a Guantanamo guard film, which was faintly ridiculous, to be honest. Some of these guys have been locked up in here for eight years. You will refer to them as detainees. You will not call them prisoners. You can talk to them, but do not let these guys know anything about you. Do not let them get inside your head. There is... So much drive in those films to make them narrative-led. And I get why Mm -hmm. filmmakers do that, right? Because it's an emotive subject. It's a subject that they want to have their voice heard about and they know that the public are expecting a certain attitude towards America and a certain attitude towards foreign policy in those films that makes them feel reassured that America still is this moral high ground. And what this film does is quite plainly say, America is great, America is brave and beautiful, but it, it holds these dark horrible secrets within it and we need to face them and throw sunlight on them to actually be more honest and even greater than we can be let me ask you a question why did the cia torture people lie about it and then hide it from history we need to stop attacks in the future and we are in whatever business it takes to get the job done find out exactly what they did the film's honesty in that way is really refreshing i think because a lot of hollywood narratives are much more about yeah, there's been some iffy stuff, but they were in the greater purpose of finding intel that actually helped us save lives. This film says, no, that doesn't exist at all in this case. In this case, it was a grand cover-up of a scheme that failed and caused multiple cases of Mm -hmm. suffering. It's all about accountability. And that's not necessarily something that feels cinematic, but it is important. And if cinema is the way to get people to watch it and engage with it, then so be it. But there's a couple of really wonderful scenes between Adam Driver and his lawyer, played by Corey Stoll, where they have this huge discussion about the power of narrative and of words and, you know, the statement versus the villain and how... Adam Driver is kind of coming to terms with the fact that this government that he's working for, that he's put in five years of his life and dedicated so much time and work into researching all of it and putting together this massive report, actually, that was never designed to exist. It was just part of that bigger cover up. And his heartbreak in his own work and his own country is the narrative arc of that character. And it's not explosive, which is why kind of Driver is such a perfect leading man for this role. It's like he doesn't have a big Dustin Hoffman-esque moment of throwing papers around and going crazy and, you know, we deserve the truth and all of that shit. It's like very, very internal and very much him realizing actually within the grand scheme of politics and within all of the 
ethical uh, notions that they've been spoon-fed since, well, any American is spoon-fed since they're born, basically, being inside of the belly of the beast and seeing how actually those narratives are concocted and used for the benefit of statesmen is becoming a lot more difficult for him to untangle than just kind of this is the correct thing to do and this is the ethical thing to do and these are the villains and these are the good people because actually it's good people doing villainous stuff yeah. and good people covering up big mistakes in the name of a greater good or in the name of politics and in the name of a narrative of victory, totally. which is so yeah. important for American identity. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Another one just hit the building. Wow. Another one just hit it hard. Another one just hit the worst fate. Today, we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center. All buildings just came apart. Holy smokes particularly around 9-11, right? Because 9-11 changed so many Americans' thoughts about how their place in the world and how secure they were. And they felt like they had to do something, whatever it was, to protect America and make sure this mm. never happens again. After 9-11, everyone was scared. Scared it might happen again. Obvious terrorist attack. It was my second day of grad school. Next day, I changed all my classes to national security. And there's an interesting parallel between Adam Driver's character and Adam Driver himself in that Adam Driver joined the Marines soon after 9-11 because of this kind of ephemeral feeling that he had to do something that felt proactive and he wasn't just another bystander. And that's the same feeling that Daniel Jones has in the film, that as an American, it's your duty when your country is attacked to then do something mm. active, even if that thing that is active leads you into a snake pit of mm. CIA torture techniques that have to be exposed and then show your country to be in an even worse light. The thing that this film really reminded me of, other than articles and podcasts, <laughs> is The Wire because of an element of 
the idea that his team, who's a small team, is kind of ferried down to this basement room. They said, there you go, get on with your investigation. But they're not actually expected to succeed at any point, really. No, they're not. In fact, the powers that be would rather they didn't succeed. They'd rather mm. they just stayed down there and squirreled away at nothing for decades and decades, There's which is the whole kind of first season of The Wire laid bare, right? This team is again thrown into the basement. They're expected to break apart Baltimore's murder problem and drug dealing situation. But the mayor and the powers that be, the politicians, couldn't care less if they did it really they mm. just want them to shut up hey pat huh we've got a job for you guys to try to run down what is it need a photo of this guy barksdale need to know what he looks like so good out of the b of i <laughs> well you see that's the problem guys you see barksdale's never been arrested as an adult so we don't really have a b of i photo his juvenile record he had expunged there's no photo there either then you're fucked <laughs> yeah yeah we are they want them shut up and, to want, and they want to present the illusion of doing something, yeah. which is really important. There's a great line that Matthew Reese's character says to Daniel Jones in the film is, they send you off to build a boat, but they had no intention of sailing it, yeah. which is just another mini cover-up within a larger cover-up, right? Even kind of the whole of his team ends up falling apart. They get tired, they get exhausted, they move on to other jobs. And Daniel Jones's biggest superpower is this persistence to this, do the work. And part of it, at least when he begins, there is no real mission driving that, right? But he discovers that mission and he discovers that outrage like you were talking about before. So that's also kind of that endless sacrifice that he makes, in order to get this job done. Yeah. And then to see it go nowhere is the most outrageous thing that he could imagine because it's such a waste. It's such a waste, not just of lives, but of his time. I mean, what did you think of it as a Scott Z. Burns film? Does it feel like one of his films? Because he's written films like The Informant and he wrote Contagion. And The Bourne film. And The Laundromat recently, which is Steven Soderbergh's latest one on Netflix. That's a really interesting one to compare it to. Have you seen The Laundromat? It's similar, yeah. First, you must ask yourself, are you wealthy? Super truth of the world is that most games, for someone to win, well, someone has to lose. I think the report is actually a lot more successful yeah. than the laundromat. And I think Scott C. Burns has a really interesting way of writing action, but writing action into his dialogues. So it's all exposition, but it feels so packed with things that are happening. You almost have to rewatch certain things because there's so much information and so many consequences and so many hidden layers, especially when he's writing for politicians or for quite manipulative characters, because you know that everything they're saying is not actually what they are saying yeah. in reality. It's all manipulation and it's all crafted narratives. And it's quite different in the report when they're talking in these private rooms as opposed to when they're talking kind of in debriefs or in meetings that are on the record. It's kind of the power of chit-chat, right? That's his cinema. It's like, I don't need action scenes, really. I don't need great character development. And I I would kind of argue with him there. I think, for me, this film could have done with a bit more character mm. development, whereas something like Contagion, you don't need character development much because Gwyneth Paltrow is having her head sawn off. So, um, despite all our efforts, she failed to respond. Okay. And her heart stopped, and right. unfortunately, she did die. Right. I'm sorry, Mr. Hamill. I know this is hard to accept. Okay. Let me see. Can I go talk to her? Mr. Hamill, I'm sorry. Your wife is dead. There is 
elements of that kind of talky dialogue and the mm. kind of very intense, like this is important, but we're having a day-to-day conversation over coffee about it that can get a bit wearing as well. But he somehow manages to pull that narrative through. And again, I think it is that kind of buildup of outrage, that the kind mm. of layering of this injustice on top of this injustice and the, the fact that it's all being covered up in the pursuit of politics, whether you're Republican or Democrat, really does hit home right at the end. But it is a kind of slow burn to get to that anger melting point, if you say. It me. is a slow burn, but there is something that really struck me from the report in particular, and I wanted to ask you about it, is the torture scenes, yeah. essentially, because it's so dialogue driven. And it's so much about conversations and of very big decisions being made in very small rooms. The actual flashbacks of people being tortured by the CIA feels very shoehorned to me. What did you think? I think the audience needs a visualisation of what the paperwork is talking about, if you see what I mean. So it's not enough just to make a paperwork thriller. You have to throw in some, if you're making cinema, you have to throw in some of the actuality around it as well. I kind of get that. What's interesting for me about those scenes, and I agree with you, they're not particularly effective. They're almost tropey now in a weird way. Like Zero Dot Thirty, those scenes look like that. I'm trying to think of something like Grand Theft Auto even, Mm. which Grand Theft Auto 5, the video game, has a waterboarding scene in it, Mm. which is horrific and has no place in the game narratively. It's going to be a long day until you give us some intel on our target. I don't know. Maybe one more time, just to be sure. But it's the same shot choice. It's the same look of how a waterboarding looks. And it's the same kind of overarching directing moral take on it, which is obviously waterboarding is terrible, but let's make it look grimy and horrible. And Hmm. it's a hard point to, to trip through this. But I just feel that there's something about waterboarding that is almost like a calling card that you can lay into the film to be like, look, I'm, this is serious stuff now. And if you're watching this, this is real. Whereas actually, I agree with you, the conversations that they're having around this stuff has already done that for you. You don't particularly need the visualisation. But I think that if you're looking at it from a, probably a studio perspective or even a screenwriter perspective, you probably do need to cut away from the little box rooms occasionally to give people something to look at. I mean, do you? In a sense, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of the question that I was asking myself as I was rewatching it because it does feel quite an intense shift Mm -hmm. from a very paperwork thriller which I love as a shop genre now by the way uh to these very graphic but not particularly innovative scenes of torture yeah. and the fact that all the people who are being tortured are quite interchangeable as well sort of detracts from the intense outrage and humanity that is in the characters who are trying to uncover this cover-up essentially so it begins the film begins to be feel at odds with itself mm-hmm. All of this righteous outrage and this kind of, you know, seeking of the truth and seeking to uncover what was covered up by the CIA and the government then becomes undone because then we're given these images again in this Hollywood setting through a Hollywood lens. But everything that they're protesting in the dialogue is then shown to us in the images. It's another bunch of faceless, nameless bodies that are being tortured by American soldiers. And we already know this cruelty. We know it because it actually happened, because we're we're part of the, the news cycle and we remember it. But at the same time, it's all being described to us. And there is something very powerful in the dialogue and the words and the performances, especially the very quiet, almost sensible outrage. The fact that both Daniel Jones and the senator are really, really fighting to get this in front of people. And they're fighting with the weapons of politics, but they're fighting for a righteous cause. Yeah. But then seeing those torture scenes just feels 
like it's a bit gratuitous and it's a bit borderline pornographic because we already know what happened. We're re- we're hearing it over and over again because he describes it as he does in the report quite graphically. And there's something quite powerful in us listening to very mechanical, very dry, very clinical descriptions of human beings being tortured systematically yeah. and sanctioned and paid for by a government who at the same time is feeding us kind of lines of truth and uh, freedom and equal and human rights. That's powerful enough. I don't need to see the torture scenes again. I think you're right. And I think Daniel Jones agrees with you because when he was talking about this case, he said that in the early days of doing it, they received some transcripts of the CIA's activities in the first two prisoners that they had. And the CIA had kept minute by minute records of exactly the different types of torture techniques that they were doing, very specific and saying, you know, it ended at 5.22 and then we went, went for lunch and then we came back and did some more waterboarding. And he said that kind of itinerary of brutality yeah. is exactly what makes it so ghastly. It's the banality of it's, evil that exactly. Hannah Arendt was talking about it's as incredible. well. Yeah, it's making a spreadsheet out of these horrific things that you are doing to people. And that is the nature of that system. So yeah, I've side with you, Anna. You're right. They shouldn't I'm have had those right. things in there. <laughs> they claim they saved lives, but what they really did was make it impossible to prosecute a mass murderer. Because if what we did to him ever came out in the court of law, the case is over. The guy planned 9-11. We will not allow this to be covered the up. The intent is to gain intel, save American lives. History is written by the victors. We need to change our approach. How is that even ethical? Nothing could be further from the truth. Democracy is messy. Everything is hinging on Daniel Jones, as performed by Adam Driver, who also has Marriage Story, directed by Noah Baumbach, coming out at the same time as the report in the UK, and also will be in the third installment of the new Star Wars trilogy in December. So it is pretty much Adam Driver's season right now. What I love about Nicole, she is a mother who plays, really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. He's very competitive. So we don't agree on Adam Driver, and I don't agree with most of popular culture on Adam Driver, which is unfortunate. Adam Driver, to me, right, he's never transformative. And I think I'm a bit of a meathead when it comes to actors in that I don't appreciate the craft enough. And I kind of want an actor to fully do the whole Al Pacino hoo-ha stuff and be a completely different character to who they have been in the last one. Otherwise, I don't feel like it's acting. You want them to be Christian Bale. You want them to lose weight, gain weight, sound different, look different in every single performance. And I know that's a bit stupid, but sometimes I had trouble, particularly in this film, separating Adam Driver in Patterson, where he's this kind of stoner up in the clouds, poetry guy who drives a bus from Adam Driver as Daniel Jones, a kind of subdued suit wearing guy pottering around Washington trying to dig out these horrible secrets. I mean, I because of the weight of this story in particular, I should be able to feel the difference, right? I should really feel that this character is the only character that could have uncovered this story. And I get that he's doing a subtle performance and that's the whole point. But Lunkhead Me just wants more from it. I want him to be a bit more... I get. I guess I want him to be a bit more Dustin Hoffman and a bit less Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Who has one note, but plays it beautifully. <laughs> Don't even go there. Um, I think all of his performances are so different. And this is just not a showy one. Mm. Because Daniel Jones is not a showy character. Mm-hmm. He's not even that powerful. He is a worker bee. 
And he's a very sensible worker bee. He cannot have his showy yelling down the house, Dustin Hoffman moments. That's Hollywood. That's not how actual politics work. But the drama is all in his face. And that beautiful monologue that he does harkens back so much to Adam Driver's own Marine background and the way that he's spoken about his background in the military and how and his experiences there. That's beautifully put. But you said Marine in a way that made me think about the sea. And now I can't stop thinking of Adam Driver as some sort of sea life animal. What would he be? You're trying to... Like he would eel, be a seal. An eel or he a seal. He would be a seal. That seems like a really respectful serious way to end this conversation anyway the I, can't report. Believe, I can't believe you've diminished one of the greatest actors of her generation <laughs> to a sea creature someone has definitely not seen marriage story you'll come back on next episode absolutely weeping about that film <laughs> somewhere beyond the sea anyway the report which screened at this year's london film festival is on general release from the UK from November the 15th and Amazon Prime from November 29th. The Bigger Picture brought to you by the BFI is co-hosted by us, Henry and Anna. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Henry H. Barnes and Anna's looking at me steely-eyed and she is on Twitter at... Can you say it? At Anna Be Demented. Yes. Our producer, Pete Sale, knows that sunlight is the best disinfectant, though he's also experimenting with white wine vinegar, lemon juice and honey. More of Pete's audio-related work at petersale.co.uk. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, your last line this week comes from the report and our Apple podcast description, a program designed to introduce debility, dependency and dread. On to the horror fans. (laughs) 